Well, good morning. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, way, way less enthusiastic than the first time I did that. So is that, is that like a, kind of a testament to where you guys are at? So do you have the mental capacity to dive into a 3,000-year-old book uh, one more time? Okay. Because if you don't, I got a remedy. We could all go out on the, on the highway and drive for 30 minutes and come back. We'd all be, at least that's the way I feel. My adrenaline gets going. I was like, oh, man. So uh, California. How, how, I'm curious how many of you have ever been to a barn party? Yeah. Okay. So uh, one, of the things that, one of the things that we had to, to give up in order to be out in California was my daughter, had a, her friend had a birthday party, and they cleaned out the barn, and they invited all the families. So there was a big hoedown last night, and um, a birthday party, swing dancing, hay, hay rack ride, and the whole thing. So this is fun for me to kind of talk about some of the differences between the Midwest and here. But anyway, if you guys want to come to K-State... Our Christian Challenge group loves to dance, um, and they always are trying to find places to go set up a sound system and have a, a swing dance, and uh, we'll, we'll throw a barn party. Come out to uh, K-State, and we'll throw a barn party. So we've got access to a really nice shouse. Do you know what a shouse is? It's not a dance. Okay. It's kind of all the rage right now. A shouse, <laughs> part shed, part house. You order it in a kit, comes in a kit, you put it together, and you live in half of it, and the other half is one big giant shed. So we have access to a great shouse where we're having a barn party next weekend. <laughs> okay, open your Bibles to Jeremiah 20. And I got to tell you while you're turning there that I've so enjoyed this. Um, this has been I've been looking forward to it, and uh, it's not disappointed. It's so good to be with you all. I, uh, the first time I met Neil uh, Walker was in 1997. Were you born? You weren't born? I was just out of college, and I was like, first one, I'd one or two weeks into my new job as, at Christian Challenge, and uh, uh, the passion conference, uh, passion movement, whatever you call it, had, was just kind of getting going. And, and Louis Giglio, who's kind of leads that, he had asked Neil to come and, and uh, to spend the day in prayer and help plan this passion uh, conference he was going to, that was on his heart. He had asked my director, Bob Anderson, to come, a few other people from around the country. So Bob, I was nuanced, Bob flies me down to Austin, Texas, and so there's about 25 people, and that's where Neil is, and we're, and, uh, Louis asked all of us if we would fast and pray for this conference, so none of us had eaten that day, we were just praying and pleading with God to do work in college students, and that night, um, Neil was going to be our fall conference speaker in Can at Kansas, Nebraska, like a month from then, so we were having a business meeting after a day of prayer and fasting, we were all totally spent, wiped out. We're trying to talk about the conference, and Niels, the whole meeting, had a phone book. Do you guys know what a phone book is? Okay. He had a phone. We're sitting in this hotel room in Austin, Texas. I don't know if you remember this, Neil. He had a phone book in his lap. This is my introduction to him. 
And it's the whole time he's flipping through saying, do you think that this pizza place would deliver? And he flipped, do you think that this, you think we can get some food in here? You think this place would deliver? Because we hadn't eaten all day. And so that was the, <laughs> and then one of the other ministers in the room had just got a noisemaker and he was experimenting with the sounds. And one of the sounds he found on it was a toilet flushing. So every time there was a pause in the conversation, he'd flush the toilet. And so this was my, this was my first, like one of my first meetings in the campus ministry world. I was like, man, what's going on here? This is crazy. But so, um, but no, then um, Neil came up uh, Midwest. I went to school at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, and they had Neil come and teach uh, one of the classes that he was kind of an adjunct professor that I took. This incredible class. And uh, what we talked about um, yesterday morning, that if, if we're going to make it the long haul, we have to not just have external behavior, but a heart that's like we discipline our heart. This, so much of what I talked about is what Neil kind of brought to that class. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that, Neil. And um, my family got to come out to California a few years ago for vacation, and we went to San Diego State. And uh, as a family, we prayer walked on that campus. So I don't, you know, I didn't know you, but um, we've prayed for students at San Diego State. That was really fun. So it's just for me to be here, it's just been a treat. And um, thank you for your hospitality. Thanks for the, the music. It's been amazing. And um, so I wanted to say that before uh, we get lost in Jeremiah chapter 20. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, one thing about me is that I am deathly afraid of heights. Um, if we were if we were to go up to a the the edge of a cliff, some people would walk up and just stand like this and look over. Some people would would get up kind of like this and hold on to something, look over, and then there's me that's like hugging, you know, the the furthest thing away from the cliff and trying to look over. That's me. And when I had just just got into Christian Challenge, just kind of found this group at K State. And there was some guys throwing a big part, a big Christian challenge party. And so I was going to it. And on my way driving to this party, um, I passed a, a car dealership. And, and they had a big spotlight out in the car dealership. And they had a huge crane that was lifting people 100 feet into the air with this cage. And these uh, people were jumping out of the cage and they were bungee jumping. Have you guys ever done that? So... So I drive by this, and I was like, wow, look at that, bungee jumping. So then I go to the party, and I'm also insecure, and I, and I want to get uh, people's attention. You know, I want, I want my respect idol to be, you know, cleaned up, and, you know, I kind of I want to feed that a little bit. That's in my flesh. So I walk in this party, and it's like, I was like, hey, uh, do you guys see how to Dick Edwards Ford? They're bungee jumping out there. We should all do that. Now, I have no desire to do that. <laughs> but I said it because I thought it's safe. Everybody's just coming back for the school year, and nobody's going to leave. Everybody just got here. Nobody's going to leave. So I can say it, look cool, and I'm, I'm good. But I say that, and some guy in the room's like, he says, that's tonight? And then another guy says, I've always wanted to do that. And all of a sudden, people are standing up like, who's in? Let's go. Let's do it. 
And before I knew it, I'm in a caravan. There's like three or four carloads of people driving back to the dealership. And so, so I get out there, and I'm standing in this long line. And for like an hour, I'm standing there watching people screaming, jumping off of this thing. And they're, and they're, and there's a, they're, they're 100 feet up in the air, and underneath them is like this air mattress, you know, this, this air thing. And, they're, they're, and then they jump, and the bungee cord, you know, stretches, flings them back up, but they don't go straight up. They go off to the side. The second time they come down is just as high as the first. They're just over the ground. And I'm just like free, and I'm talking to my friend the whole time. We're just freaking each other out about this. And we get up to the front of the line, and, and then we had to fill out these waiver forms, you know, like you had to fill out for your Oak, you know, conference. And the waiver form says, in case, basically, in case you die, we're not liable. And so my buddy says, my buddy says, uh, I don't think I'm going to do this. And he steps out of the line. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. this was my idea. <laughs> And um, there, are, there are girls that came just to watch us do this, and I can't, I can't say no. So, so, I, uh, so, so I, I go through, I, I uh, sign my waiver, and I get in this cage, and there's this, like, middle-aged dude on there with, um, you know, the heavy metal rock T-shirt. And uh, he pull, pushes the lever, and we start going up. It's just me and this guy, and he becomes, like, my uh, closest confidant. And I, be, I, be, I begin to pour out my eyes like, I don't know why I'm here, man. I hate this. I hate heights. I'm, I'm so afraid of heights. He's like, dude, man, if you're afraid of heights, you shouldn't be doing this. And, and he just, he's just going up. And so, so, we, so we keep talking. He's like, no. So we get up to the top, and, and it's just like, it's quiet up there. The people look really small. We're kind of swaying in, in the wind. And he goes, okay, you can do this. Here's what you do. He's, there's a little ledge outside of the cage. He said, just walk out on the ledge, hold on to the bar, and you don't have to jump. And he was, you know, putting the bungee around my ankles. So you don't have to jump. Just let go. Just lean over and let go. And he said, I'll count to three. You just let go. And I said, oh, I said okay. So I, I go out on the ledge, and I stand on the ledge, and I hold that bar, and I'm just leaning over. And uh, he goes, ten, nine. And he starts counting down from 10. I turn around. I looked over my shoulder. I was like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't got 10 seconds of courage. Either count to three or I'm not going to do it. He said, he said, okay. He goes, three, two, one. And I let go. And I, and I, I felt myself falling. And then he, I hear this voice of the cage. He says, wait a minute. It's not ready. <laughs> he did. So... And there was nothing I could do. So if you could just picture that scene, I'm like, it's like slow motion. I'm just like rocking forward and my, my hands can't grab anything. And this, this voice behind me is like lying to me, just totally messing with me. He, I, I think that's just what he got his kicks on. He's like, man, this is, this is my life. I just run this thing up and I get to mess with these young college guys. <coughs> so so here's, here's how that ties into Jeremiah 20. <laughs> okay, what mattered, what mattered to me in that moment more than my feelings and more than the voice of the guy in the cage, more than my image management issues, what mattered the most was what I was anchored to. If we are going to be a people that perseveres, that stands strong, we need to be able to rest in our purpose to work at being reformed at a heart level, 
to cling to hope, to never stop, never stop loving the gospel. You know, speak it to each other, remind each other of it, sing about it. Um, and we need to be anchored in what's real, anchored in reality. So these snapshots of Jeremiah's life, we've, we've looked at, um, yesterday we looked at two snapshots of, of Jeremiah's message. And uh, Friday night and this morning, we're looking at two snapshots of his life. And as I have, I told you that for years, I have been captivated, captivated by this book. <coughs> and the, the fact that he's like a minister for over 40 years, over, over four decades, and what's been described as the lowest point, the, the most difficult time in the Old Testament history, and the Old Testament has some pretty raw stuff. And nobody ever really listened to him. And he kept, kept hanging in there with it. Like, I just, it's just like so unnerved me. And I've, so I have scoured the book of Jeremiah trying to figure out what is it that held you? Like, no, you didn't, you didn't have anybody. You didn't have, he didn't have this. It's like, what was it that held you? How did you stand strong? And as I've, as I've looked through the book, I've landed in Jeremiah chapter 20. And it talks about um, Jeremiah, the word famine occurs more than 30 times in this book. The word sword, more than 70 times. The word pestilence or disease, more than 20 times. Several other words like death, destroy, scatter, they're common. One commentator says the range of frequency of the language of pain and suffering is truly remarkable. In fact, <clears throat> if you look at the beginning of chapter 20, here's an example of that. Let me, I'm going to take this off for just a second. <coughs> okay. So one time I was speaking at K-State and I was, I was, uh, had bronchitis and, uh, the sound guy didn't know it and I just started hacking, you know, right up there with this microphone on and <clears throat> he freaked out. So I've learned my lesson. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1, pastor of the priest. So who's a priest? You know, what, what's a priest's function? He's supposed to do the work of God, right? Pastor of the priest, the son of Emmer, the chief official in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. So pastor had the prophet Jeremiah beaten and put him in the stocks at the upper Benjamin gate in the Lord's temple. Jeremiah goes, to, oh, thanks, Neil. Jeremiah goes to the temple of God, the house of God, to deliver the message of God. And the priest, pastor, one who should have been a brother to Jeremiah, instead he beats him up and puts him in stocks to discipline and ridicule him in front of the temple. So he puts him out in front of this gate where, where most of the people are going to walk through just to ridicule him. It would be like coming to some, to a challenge on Thursday night and one of, the, one of the challenge staff members, and you start talking about, we need to repent and turn to God and somebody like beating you up, putting you in stocks out in the middle of campus. Because they didn't like your message. God's not gonna, God's not gonna punish us, you know? It's, it's, it's um, God's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He, don't, he, what you're saying's wrong, We're, we don't need to repent. As long as we keep showing up to the temple, we're good. They didn't like 
his message because he talked about repenting and turning to the Lord, and he talked about doing away with the idols of the culture, and they didn't like the... Um, There was no pluralism in it. It's one God. They didn't like it, so they beat him up. And that was Jeremiah's life. But Jeremiah persevered in it. I think our culture is in love with perseverance. You know, uh, Winston Churchill is famous for saying when, when Germany took over Europe in World War II, he, he says, if you're going through hell, just keep going. You know, and I saw, I saw this uh, book out here in the bookstore, Unbroken, in fact, I heard that you've had Louis Zamperini when he was still alive come and speak. That's awesome. But the, the world, or at least our, our country, fell in love with his story. Why? Because it was a story of perseverance. We, we love to get behind stories of perseverance, whether it be people going through illness or, or athletes that put their bodies through incredible turmoil to achieve their goal, whatever it is. We, we love the, the Olympic athletes, the stories of men and women that, that won't let go of their dreams. William Wilberforce leading the charge to rid the Western world of slavery. The arena doesn't matter, you know, sports, politics, young, old. If it contains a picture of perseverance, we honor it. And Jeremiah is a picture of perseverance. <clears throat> and so in Jeremiah 20, uh, the, Jeremiah is written that the, the way the book's put together is kind of difficult, I think. So it's not really chronological. So what you, they put all the laments of Jeremiah, like a poems or writings that are discouraging, frustrating, you know, kind of woe is me type stuff all together. So Jeremiah 11 through 20 is a collection of laments. And we're going to look at one of those in Jeremiah 20. Let's uh, start in verse 7. So listen to Jeremiah's words. <coughs> you deceived me, Lord. And I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I'm a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. And I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. So what do you hear at these words? Jeremiah's like, I'm, God, you deceived me. I'm a laughing. People ridicule me all the time. Your word, Lord, the uniqueness of it, the, the calling of it, what it calls us to is hard. It's constantly, constantly bringing me disgrace, constantly bringing me derision, which, which means mockery. And I love the honesty, by the way, that Jeremiah has here, that he doesn't just like come to God with his uh, kind of sanctified phrases. It's just like, God, this is how I'm feeling. And he brings that to God. So I, I, I would just, as a little side, side note, don't be afraid to, I mean, God, he wants to be like a father to you. That's who he is. And he knows what's going on. He wants to hear how you're feeling. So don't be afraid to, to wrestle with how you're feeling before God. 
You know, God, help me. This, I, I just feel like I'm a constant disgrace. God's big enough to handle our mess, and he's okay with your struggles and your doubts and your emotions. But he's created you. He's a relational God that's created you for fellowship with him. So if you're hurting, if you're doubting, if you're struggling, follow the footprints of Jeremiah. So what's he going to do? He's feeling deceived. He's feeling ridiculed. Uh, the pastor, the priest, has just beat him up and put him in stocks. He says, I wanted to quit. I determined in myself to quit. So I'm not going to speak anymore about God. And then look at verse 9 again. <clears throat> I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name. But his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. So let me ask you a question. What is the loudest voice in your life? Who, who carries the most weight? What, what voice carries the most authority in your heart? Girlfriend's voice, boyfriend, coach, a teacher, a parent. Someone you're trying to win the approval of. Part of the way that Jeremiah persevered in his heart was that he listened to the word of God. There was a, a, a couple that my, my wife and I were trying to reach with the gospel back home, and um, as we were relating to them, they, they invited us to their birthday party. We don't have all of our parties in barns. They invited us to a birthday party at a place called Harry's Uptown, which is the nicest restaurant in Manhattan. So I have no idea what it's comparable to in, in California. But um, so, we, so we didn't get into campus ministry for the money. And, um, and I will say, say this, that your staff at Christian Challenge works so hard, um, and it's not for the money. They do it because of the call of God and the vision of reaching students. And um, I don't know their financial situation, but I know enough. I know that a lot of student ministers just work for peanuts, you know, to do what they do. But so it was a big decision for us. Like, are we going to go to this part? Like, we want to get to know their friends. We'd like to bring the aroma of Christ into this culture, this, this friend culture. But can we afford this restaurant? And we, we talked about it for several days, tried to figure out, you know, where, God, what do you want us to do? We decided to go. They had reserved a room, the back room of Harry's Uptown. And so I go there, and I, and I sit at this table, and I'm meeting all these people one guy's an entrepreneur, wealthy entrepreneur. The other guy's an orthodontist that has a total monopoly in this that part of Kansas. And um, they're just ordering beer after beer. Their wife's ordering wine after glass after wine glass. Just and I'm looking at the price of these things. Well, man, they're just racking up the bill. And uh, then the the orthodontist, he's trying to make conversation with me, and he's like, "What are you going to get?" And and there's a one-page menu in this restaurant, and it goes uh, the the cheapest is at the top, to the most expensive at the bottom. And so I'm looking at the top two choices. It's like fettuccine, chicken fettuccine alfredo or spaghetti, I think. And then uh, he goes, what are you going to get? And I'm like, I'm thinking about the fettuccine. It's like, the fettuccine? Like, I've never gotten that before. Really, the fettuccine? 
It's like every time I come here, I get the filet. And I have to look down. It's like the filet is down at the bottom. And uh, it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to hang in there with the fettuccine. I mean, there's a, <laughs> I mean, the fettuccine is still like $18, or so, you know. And so, um, so he keeps ordering more drinks, and and pretty soon he and his wife, I think he, I think they both got the filet. And uh, so I just felt felt really out of place. You know, I'd, I'd put on my best clothes, I'd try to fit in with this group. And uh, we had to leave early because we, we didn't pay anybody to watch our kids. We had a college student hanging out with our kids. So we, we leave, we go to our, our minivan. We had a Ford Windstar minivan with 130,000 miles on it, a cracked windshield. And I just remember walking with my wife, feeling so sorry for my wife, like, I wish that you had a husband that was like could do nicer things for you. It's kind of how I felt. So we had to, to leave first. We drove home in our hot minivan with a cracked windshield. And so the next day, <coughs> I called a friend of mine down in a uh, pastor friend of mine. We were talking, and and I and I kind of told him. He's like, "How's how things going?" And I told him about that night before, and he starts laughing over the phone. He goes, Robbie, you don't need to fret that, man. That's the glory of God. It's like, what? He's like, it's the glory of God that you can't afford the filet. Come on. It's the glory of God that you drive an old minivan. It's like I've seen so many people that sell out to just, you know, just have the nice salary, and then they get to the end of their life, and their life just flakes out. Like, give your life to what's important. It's okay. And when he started saying that to me, like, like it's the glory of God, Robbie, because you're giving your life to people. It's okay. It was like he was bringing me back to reality, to what's really real. And all of a sudden, I went from feeling second string, you know, from, from feeling like, like I don't measure up and I'm not good enough, even, I'm not even a good enough husband for my wife, to all of a sudden feeling like, like I am in line with the purposes of God and what better life is there he spoke reality to me and his voice what he did for me was he helped the word of God become louder in my heart than the words of the orthodontist and the entrepreneur and the salesman around the table and by the way several months later my friend called me and said hey could you, like, help me read the Bible? The, the friend that had the birthday party. He said, one of my friends asked me if, if I'd, he's noticed a change in my life, and he'd asked me if I could help him, and I don't know what I'm doing. Could you meet with both of us? And I said, sure. So we met at, for coffee before work at, like, 6.30 in the morning. Guess who it was? Filet mignon. It's <laughs> pretty cool. So he's joined my support team. How about that? So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's not that's not really part of the message. That's just kind of fun. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. So, um, so I, I talked I talked yesterday morning about we we want to we don't want to focus on external religious activity because if it's not matched with an internal heart for God, it's you're, we're going to lose it. Like it's not going to last. And I don't want you to hear that discipline on the outside is not important. But, we, but I want you to kind of see this. So, so, 
Friday night we talked about that we rest in the purpose of God. So God has called us to, to move towards him, to know him. God has called us to make disciples. So we purpose our hearts for that. We rest. That is our purpose. And as we, as we are doing that purpose, God directs us specifically to at times. And we rest in that. And then we discipline our hearts accordingly. So I don't want you to hear that and say, oh, well, I don't, if I don't feel like doing something, if my heart's not in it, I'm not going to do it. Like an example of this is Psalm 119.11. I memorized that years and years ago in the NIV, and it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You guys know that verse? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, and I believe that. But then I'd see guys at, uh, at K-State, and they'd memorize the word of God. They'd memorize chunks of scripture. They'd memorize a lot of it. But there was no victory over sin in their life. And I'm just like, Psalm 119.11 doesn't work. It's like these guys have the word in their heart, but they keep sinning. And then I got a new Bible, a new translation after reading the NIV for 20 years, and I started reading a different version, the HCSB. And I and it and I'd frustrate me because I'd be reading something I was really familiar with or I'd memorized and it was different, but it kind of so anyway, I was reading Psalm 119 one day, and I got to verse 11, and it says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's like, that's not what it says. It says hidden. Why did they translate treasured? Hidden and treasured are very different things. The goal here is to, to memorize, right? And so I, so I did a st- <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really what I was thinking. So I started studying that word. And I find out that that word can be, the, the meaning of the word is that it's like a treasure that you hide somewhere so that, that then you savor this treasure. You hide it away. And, and so, so hidden is the right translation. Treasured is the right translation. And all of a sudden I realize the reason that these guys are not having victory over sin in their life is because they're hiding, they're memorizing the word of God, but they're not letting it lead their hearts into worship. They think all I got to do is memorize these words rather than let those words move their heart in worship. And there's a battle. There's a fight involved in worship. Do you guys see the difference? So we discipline ourselves to help our heart worship. We work at getting it to where the word of God is louder in our hearts than the words of the guy in the cage saying, wait a minute, it's not ready. What voice has the loudest ring in your heart? What voice does your heart respond to the quickest? Every other voice is a paper foundation. But the word of God. How are we doing at treasuring God's word? So we keep reading verse 10. Jeremiah goes on in this lament. He says, For I have heard the gossip of many people. Terror is on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Everyone I trusted watches for my fall. Are you paying attention to these words? Man, perhaps he will be deceived so we might prevail against him and take our vengeance on him. It's like they hated him because he didn't tolerate the idolatry of the, of the land. But the Lord is with me like a violent 
warrior. Jeremiah fought for a heart for God by leaning into the presence of God. There's gossip. People are saying things about me that's not fair, out of context. People are saying things about me that they have no business talking about. People are saying things like they know all about me. They don't know me at all. Betrayal. People I trusted have turned on me. People like the priest pastor. People that should be standing with me. Instead, they set a trap for me. Everyone wants me to fail. It gets worse. Later on, if you want to read verses 14 through 18, Jeremiah starts talking about how much he despairs of life. He begins to wish that he was never born. If he were alive today in 2018, he'd be diagnosed with clinical depression, I think. Despair, struggle, depression, are, they're real. But it's not the end. It's not the end. There's hope. In the midst of gossip, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of loneliness, look at what Jeremiah does. He says, the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. For Jeremiah, the presence of God was more real to him than the presence of people. He was anchored in reality. The most real thing about this moment right now, the most real thing that's happening right now in this moment is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is forcefully advancing all around the world, changing dead hearts and bringing them to life. Changing, taking the old and making it new. That's the most real thing that's happening in the world today. And Jeremiah was anchored in reality. We call Christian Challenge at K-State, we call 2006 the dark year of challenge. Our director was, took a sabbatical. We were flying high. We had the best room on campus. We packed it out every week. Our director takes a sabbatical. He goes to work with students over in Africa. And uh, my best friend dies of cancer. My life starts spinning out of control. Um, my wife's cousin, a few weeks later, dies of an eating disorder. She struggled with an eating disorder for years, and her body finally gave up. Two people, we pled with God for healing. My wife's sister was, had a virus attack her heart. She's in the hospital. We had three other deaths of family or friends um, around our staff circle. And we were tired. And so our challenge meetings began to feel tired. They began to feel a little flat. And all of a sudden, we went from a packed house to numbers started declining in a few months. Uh, we had maybe a third of the room was full. And so <clears throat> the students called a student-only meeting, kind of like players, you know, when they're struggling in their team, they have a team on, uh, players-only meeting. They had a student-only meeting, and they sat around and talked about all the things that were wrong with what we were doing. And they made a long list. And then they emailed it to us. And you know what I wanted to do with the list? 
wanted to argue with them. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to tell them why they were wrong. I wanted to protect myself. I wanted to kind of brush my idol of respect. Part of me wanted to try harder. Part of me wanted to live out that broken label, second strings, like, well, I've got to work more. I've got to figure it out. I've got to do more. I've got to be better. So I don't want that to be true. But Jeremiah, when gossip, when there's people gossiping about him and people that were his friends that betrayed him, he found peace in recognizing God's heart for him. He said, God is with me, and God is my warrior. In the midst of relational struggles, do you find yourself leaning into self-defense? We're leaning into the presence of God. And then Jeremiah goes, I love what happens next in this lament. It says, the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed. An everlasting humiliation that will never be forgotten. Lord of armies, Lord of angelic hosts, right? Testing the righteous and seeing the heart and mind. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my case to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from evil people. This is so cool because where Jeremiah, when he's caught up in the presence of God and the eminence of God and the nearness of God, he was immediately reminded of the power of God, the transcendence of God, the otherness of God. And that is one thing that is unique about our faith. Theologian Wayne Grudem says, apart from the true religion found in the Bible, no system of religion has a God who is both infinite and personal. For example, the gods of ancient Greek and Roman mythology were personal. They interacted frequently with people, but they were not infinite. They had weaknesses and frequent moral failures and even petty rivalries. On the other hand, deism portrays a God who is infinite, but far too removed from the world to be personally involved in it. Similarly, pantheism holds that God is infinite since the whole universe is thought to be God, but such a God can certainly not be personal or relate to us as persons. But we worship a God who is all-present and all-power. We worship a God who is both near and at the other, and at, at the same time, he's other at the same time. And I love how Jeremiah just kind of releases his persecutors and his humiliation and his betrayals to God as he thinks about the nearness of God and God's power. Jeremiah's like, God, you are the one who sees into our hearts. You are the one who sees into the minds of men. And I'm going to trust you. You are the Lord of hosts. Jeremiah battled. He fought to know God to where the words of God were louder than the words of men. The presence of God was more real than the presence of people. And the power of God was more trustworthy than his own power. I remember reading a long time ago in Exodus 14 and... and, uh, that's a crazy story, you know, when Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and crazy stuff's happening. And 
And the Egyptians, the strongest army in the world, you know, is like chasing them. And God tells Moses, he says, uh, be still, the Lord your God will fight for you. It's like, that sounds really cool, but what in the world does that mean? Just do nothing? Like, what does it mean to be still and let a transcendent, all-powerful God fight for me? Peter reflects back on Jesus' testimony, and he said he remembers that when Jesus was persecuted, he didn't retaliate. What did he do? He, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus was resting in the omnipotence of the Father. He's trusting in the sovereignty of God. And I've struggled over the years to understand what it means to let God fight for me. And I think it's really simple. I think it just means that we walk in faithfulness to God. We remain in him. We abide in him. And we trust God with whatever happens. We trust God with the results. Jeremiah said, you are present. You are the mighty warrior. And you also see everything. You're also the Lord of the heavenly armies. I'm going to trust you even with my ministry. And I love what, what Grudem, to quote him again, he, when he's talking about the otherness of God, the transcendence of God, he says this, the difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle. It's more than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop. It's more than the difference between the Arctic cap and a snowflake. Do you guys know what a snowflake is? You, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, more than the difference between the universe and this room that we're sitting in. God's being is qualitatively different. No limitation or imperfection in creation should be projected onto our thought of God. He is the creator all else is creaturely. All else can pass away in an instant. He necessarily exists forever. So, how are you doing at trusting in the sovereignty of God? At trusting that God's big enough for you? I think most of my insecurities in my life boil down to the question of, is God big enough for me? Most of my fears, that's the question underneath. Is walking in obedience and prayer enough for us? Or do we wear ourselves out fighting the battles that only God can fight? A few months ago, uh, we were visiting with one of our alums who she was, used to be in my wife and I's small group and challenge. And she got she married a navigator. And uh, so she, she's working for the navigator headquarters out in Colorado Springs. <coughs> and... When they got married, they wanted to have kids, and they went through a series of miscarriages, and uh, just broke their heart you know, every time. And uh, some were longer. I can't remember how many there were, but just I remember just hearing about it, just heartbreaking. And they finally had a baby, a healthy baby, Gabe, a healthy baby boy named Gabe. When Gabe was about nine months maybe at Christmas it'll be two years ago this Christmas her husband was going to a navigator conference like this and uh, he was staying at a hotel and early in the morning he got or he, he went for a jog on the treadmill and while he was jogging he collapsed and he fell on the treadmill and hit his head and he died 
So now Kelly's got a little baby. The answer to their prayers is that her husband's gone young. So a few months go by, and she's grieving. So she's finally back home for Christmas. I guess it's a, a year goes by as last Christmas. And while their, um, their family is gathered together for Christmas, her mom collapses. Take her to the hospital, and we're praying for her, and two days later, she dies. And so we sat with her a few months ago, and it's like, Kelly, how, how have you re stayed the course? And she starts crying, and she says, I think when I was in college, you know, in, in our Bible studies and in discipleship, that, that during that season of my life, I just realized that there's a bigger picture. There's, there's a great narrative that's being written, and I'm just a small part in that narrative. And I know that the, how the end, like what's going to happen at the end. I know how the story ends, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious. And so I hold on to that. I hold on to that. If I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have. She's leaning and trusting in the sovereignty of God, and she's like an iron pillar. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, that... Um, Christ's love compels us. And I hear, I, I, I read about that, I, I hear that verse quoted often in Christian circles, that we need to be compelled by the love of Christ. And I hear that, and I'm all for that. We want to be compelled by Christ's love. But that's not the whole verse. There's more to it. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So therefore we no longer see people the way we used to see them. And then he goes on to say that, that um, let's say, uh, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He's like, we see everything differently now. We've become Christ's ambassadors, he goes on to say. He's compelled by the love of Christ because he, he's convinced that the most real thing is that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, the gospel, Paul says, I totally believe that everything I'm doing is, is based on this belief that one died for all and therefore all died. And it's compelling me to have a different mission for life. It's compelling me to see people differently. compelling me to see myself differently. It's compelling me in love, in love. I'm compelled by love because I believe the gospel. Because I'm convinced Paul's anchored in reality. Jeremiah was anchored in reality. And if we are going to stand strong, we have to be anchored in what's real. The Word of God. We discipline ourselves to where that's louder in our hearts than the words of people. The presence of God is real, more real. The sovereignty of God is more trustworthy than my own ability, my own strength. And I don't know a better way to do that than to dive all into discipleship. 
help each other read the Bible. It take, it's, a, it's a fascinating book, but there's some challenges to understanding this book. So help each other. Speak the gospel into each other's lives. Keep reminding each other of what's real. So what's the platform that you're afraid to jump off of, you know? What's the voice in the cage that's like, wait a minute, it's not ready. It's most tempting for you to, to buy into, to believe that that voice is more real than what's anchored to your soul. Confess it, turn from it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we, I want to pray for this group. pray that they would be anchored in reality. I pray that a month from now that they would be more in love with the, the gospel than they are today. I pray for each one here in this room that 10 years from now they would be more in love with the gospel, that they'd be more dialed in to the voice of your spirit than they are today. I pray for each person in this room that they would not say that college were the greatest years of my life. That they would be able to, in their later 20s, 30s, 40s, be walking with you in a way that's so exciting, supernatural, real. It's like college was awesome, but life just keeps continuing to grow in meaning. So I ask you for that. And Lord, would you do a great work at San Diego State, USC, through lives of ordinary men and women that are dialed in to extraordinary God. And I ask that, Lord, in your son's name, in the name of Jesus. Thank you.